All right, we're going to get started. Tonight, we're going to get through Revelation 20, where we read, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until a thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they would be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It's the word of God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this time to be together tonight to look at a... Uh, sobering um, yet hopeful portion of your scripture, God, as we look forward to the end when your son will return, God. He'll judge and he'll save. And Lord, we look forward to that day, Lord. I just pray that through your word and your spirit, Lord, you would make us into what you want us to be, Lord, what you need us to be in the here and now until we get to that point, God. May we be instruments in your hands, Lord, for the salvation of many. We just pray that you would work in us by your word. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, so last time we covered some of the necessary preliminary items so we can interpret this last vision cycle properly. We know now that what we see here in this vision cycle is the undoing of the fall and the curse from Genesis 1 through 3. We know that the resurrection in verses 4 to 6 is not the same resurrection as we see in verses 11 to 15. The first is a spiritual resurrection. The second is the bodily resurrection of the just and the unjust. We also know that the first six verses of this chapter cover all time between Christ's two comings, when Satan is expelled from heaven and the war between him and the church rages. And that whole period, the period of Satan's expulsion, the period of war between Satan and the elect, the period between Christ's two comings, these are all the same period, and that period of time is represented here by the 1,000-year reign of Christ and the saints. So now we're going to get into some detail of what's being described here. Verses 1 through 3, we read, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. 
and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until a thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So this is, as we saw, the same war in heaven that results in Satan's expulsion from heaven when he's thrown down to earth. This is what we saw in Revelation 12, what begins the fourth vision cycle that, if you remember, describes the spiritual war between the powers of darkness and the church. We read there, now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fight against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So it may be that the angel being referred to here in verse 1 might even be the angel Michael, who has a great chain and a key to the bottomless pit. But we see in the parallel here, the pit is earth. Uh, This is talking about Satan's expulsion from the Mount of Assembly where God and his angels dwell. And the shutting and sealing it over, Satan describes the permanent nature of this being thrown out of heaven. Remember, after his sin in Eden, we saw Satan was evicted from heaven, but still had access to it and God and his heavenly counsel. And we saw from Genesis 3, the idea of Satan, who is the serpent, the idea of him eating dirt and going on his belly is a metaphor for him being thrown down to earth. And here... At the end of that, the being released for a little while refers to the time right before Christ's return, where we're going to have the great apostasy of the church, the Antichrist being revealed, the church is going to, the true believers will be persecuted like never before, and it all culminates in the battle of Armageddon, which means Mount of Assembly in Hebrew. And the binding of Satan here is what was accomplished with the finished work of Christ, and this is Satan's reality right now. He is the strong man that was bound by Christ so that the church could plunder his goods. This is the mission of the church as we reclaim the earth for Christ, the earth that belonged to Satan and his demons from Babel until the cross. It's like Satan said during his temptations of Christ. He could give Christ the kingdom of the world because it belongs to Satan. He knew that Christ wanted the kingdom, but Christ didn't need Satan to give it to him. Christ has been getting it since his finished work at the cross, and he'll get it completely when he comes again. And this is why we're told here that Satan could no longer deceive the nations or deceive the Gentiles, talking about the nations outside of physical Israel. As we read in the writings of Paul with Christ's first coming, that distinction is no more. Like in Ephesians 2, where he says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the, to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And this is because Satan has now been bound and the spiritual separation between Jew and Gentile has been removed so the whole world can be brought back to God. And those who are saved, whether Jew or Gentile, is what John sees here on the thrones. He says, then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. As we've seen multiple times in the book of Revelation already, the entire church is represented as martyrs, as witnesses who die with Christ. This is what's being spoken about here. This is why Christ warns us over and over again in the first vision cycle that we need to maintain our witness. We are martyrs, witnesses of Christ. We are to love him more than our own lives, which he made very clear at his first coming. 
So here, John sees what he's already seen represented other ways. Those on the thrones represent the same thing as the 24 elders that sat on thrones. Back in Revelation 4, around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. This is the elect of all time. They're the same as the 144,000 marked by God. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion to the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. This is the elect of all time, and that's who John is seeing here in verse 4. Now, as we saw last week, this coming to life is not speaking of a physical resurrection. It's talking about being raised to new life in Christ in the here and now. It's a spiritual resurrection. It's the spiritually dead coming to life. Like in Romans 6, where Paul tells us that we have died with Christ, died to sin, and have been raised with Christ. Beginning in verse 3, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul says much the same thing in a shorter version to the Colossian church. He says, having been buried with him, Christ, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Or in the book of Ephesians, where he says the same thing. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the minds, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace who have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, John is here seeing the saved, raised up with Christ and seated in the heavenly places. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the work of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And this is what Christ himself told us. In John 5, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Note that Christ here speaks of two different coming to life, comings to life, I guess. First, there's already those who believe. The hour is now here, he says. We have eternal life. We have passed from death to life, and this is our spiritual resurrection. Second, there's a physical resurrection, the hour that is yet coming, the time when 
all in the tombs, all the dead, both those who have done good and those who have done evil, will be physically raised. So we see the first life in verses 4 to 6 of Revelation 20, and we'll see the second coming to life a little later. We're told here, the, dead, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. That is looking forward to the physical resurrection. So those given the spiritual life live during the thousand years spiritually, and after the thousand years, and after Satan is released and the time of persecution happens, then all will be raised bodily to face judgment. But John here is seeing that spiritual resurrection. He's seeing the life that we live as believers in the here and now. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And we see here the contrast between the first resurrection and the second death, and both of these are speaking spiritually. Those who are raised with Christ now, spiritually, will not face spiritual death. Those who face spiritual death are those that are not raised with Christ spiritually now. And those who are raised with Christ spiritually are priests of God and reign with Christ. As the Apostle Peter wrote, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been chosen by God to be a royal priesthood. We are priests of God in Christ, and we will reign with Christ spiritually for the thousand years until his return. And this reign is our reign over the whole earth as we reclaim it for Christ. Remember what God's original design was for man. In Genesis 128, he said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And this is what he's accomplishing through his church. We are multiplying those made spiritually alive and we are given dominion over the world so that we can plunder Satan and his kingdom. And in our spiritual resurrection, we have dominion over sin. As God told the sinners early on what he said to Cain, he said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And this has been achieved only by Christ. And those who live with him are given dominion over sin. As Paul concludes in Romans 6, So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. This is our spiritual reality between Christ's two comings. This is what we are to do until Christ returns. As we've seen, this is what we are to do even through that representative three and a half, the time right before Christ's return, when we're going to be persecuted to the point of death and imprisonment, and it might even look like we're actually losing the war. Well, that's the time after the thousand years, which is what John now sees. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. Satan will be unbound for a time. And the Antichrist will arise, and the great apostasy will happen, and all the powers of darkness through the beasts of worldly power and false religion, and all the reprobate, all of taken the number of the beasts, they will all come against us, the church, and we will be persecuted like never before. But the spiritual reality behind that is Satan's last attempt to overthrow God, to overthrow heaven at the Battle of Armageddon. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. We saw in verse 3 how Satan, during the thousand years, is unable to deceive the nations. 
He can no longer keep the Gentiles under his power because God has included Gentiles in his salvation because Satan is now bound. But here at the end of a thousand years, he's released. He's unbound and he's once again able to deceive the nations. And this is why the great apostasy will happen. All those who were not genuinely born again will abandon their supposed faith because of Satan's deception. And the Holy Spirit, as we saw from 2 Thessalonians, who now restrains the lawlessness of the world, will cease to do so, and Satan will deceive the world into coming against the church. Even worse than they do now, far worse. And here, John calls the nations Gog and Magog. And this is symbolism pulled from the prophet Ezekiel, from that very apocalyptic portion of the prophet Ezekiel at the end of his book. And the vision here in Revelation 20 actually follows the book of Ezekiel to make sure we understand the symbolism. So as I warned about a year ago, that once we get to this passage, we're going to have to look at a lot of Ezekiel. So here we go. So we get in Ezekiel 36. First note that God gives the reason he's about to do what he's going to do. Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 16. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. Sounds like Babel, right? In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. And that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. So, Follow the train of thought here. God has rejected Israel. He has scattered them among the nations, just like he did to the world at Babel. Here, God says he has mixed Israel and the Gentiles. And twice, Yahweh speaks about how the Jews profaned his name among the nations. And then twice, he says, he's going to act for the sake of his own name. And the action that he is taking is stopping the profaning of his name among the Gentiles. See, God has removed here the separation between Jew and Gentile, and now he's going to make sure that his name is honored by both. He says to the Jews, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. And this is, of course, speaking about Christ and the work of Christ at his first coming. Like we saw in Revelation 12, Israel's purpose was to bring forth Jesus Christ. When God says to Israel, through you I will vindicate my holiness, he's talking about the fact that Christ is coming. And this is what we saw back in Revelation 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. This is Israel. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. That's the whole history of Israel. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. That is Satan, the king of this world. His tail swept down a third of his stars of heaven, that's the other fallen angels, and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, this is him with Israel, who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, who is Christ, one is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, that's the ascension, and the woman fled into the wilderness, as after the coming of the Holy Spirit, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. And the work of Christ that happens now is what Ezekiel describes next. 
He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. This is God cleansing the elect from their sin, bringing them from under the power of the false gods that God disinherited them to and bringing them back to himself. And God, in Christ, will make a new covenant with the people. This is the covenant he promised through Jeremiah. Famous verse, right? For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Well, this is what he's referring to when he says to Ezekiel, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And the chapter goes on further, speaking of the restoration of God's people. It talks about the expansion of God's flock. And this is what was accomplished at Christ's first coming. Satan was bound. The nations were joined to the people of God. And he made a new covenant with them. And so what is the very next thing Ezekiel speaks of in, in chapter 37? He speaks of resurrection, spiritual resurrection. Ezekiel 37, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land, and you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. John sees this same exact sequence of events in Revelation 20. The results of Christ's first coming, the inclusion of the nations in God's salvation. And then we have the spiritual resurrection that we just talked about. And then... Right after that, we have the war with Gog and Magog. Verses 7 through 8, sorry. <clears throat> and when the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of sea. And as luck would have it, after the vision of the dry bones in Ezekiel and God's explanation of it, we then have Ezekiel 38 and 39, which is the war with Gog and Magog. See, John is following the same sequence as the book of Ezekiel. But what is Gog or Magog? Here, John makes Gog and Magog parallel to those Satan gathers for battle. Well, we read about this gathering for battle multiple times in Revelation. We saw it in the sixth vision cycle. 
And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. That's Christ and us. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. Those two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. We saw this predicted earlier in the book of Revelation. Revelation 17, And the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast, and they will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. We saw it earlier in the fifth vision cycle with the bowls of God's wrath. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. They are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty, and they assemble them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. As we saw the angel pouring out his bowl on the Euphrates, is God preparing the way for this battle to happen? God orchestrates all of this. Satan through the beast deceives the world, as we've seen in Revelation 20. He's released from his prison to do so, and then this battle takes place at Armageddon, or the Mount of Assembly. This is what's being described here. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, their numbers like the sand of the sea. And the reference to Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 30 and 39 is all about a battle that God himself says he's going to orchestrate. Ezekiel 38, 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face towards Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army. Horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. A little later, God says, you will come up against my people Israel, like a cloud covering the lands. In the latter days, I will bring you against my land, that the nations may know me, when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Chapter 39, and you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn you about and drive you forward and bring you up from the uttermost parts of the north and lead you against the mountains of Israel. This is the army that comes against God and his people, and they are made up of many nations. He says, Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, Beth Togarma, from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes. Many people are with you. And after these nations come together, he says, after many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered for many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which has been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance, coming on like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your horde and many peoples with you. See, the innumerable horde that God is going to gather, they're going to gather from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel. And this is what John sees. He says their number is like the sand of the sea. And they march up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But what's going to happen? Ezekiel 38, beginning in verse 18. But on that day, the day that God shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be roused in my anger. 
For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the fields and all creeping things that creep on the ground and all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence and the mountain shall be thrown down and the cliffs shall fall and every wall shall tumble to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother with pestilence and bloodshed. I will enter into judgment with him and I will rain upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations that they will know that I am the Lord. And this is just full of symbols we've seen throughout the book of Revelation to describe the final judgment, the earthquake, the hail, the fire. We've seen it over and over again, like we do here in Revelation 20. Verse 9, And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And as Ezekiel promised... You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your hordes and the people who are with you. I will give you to birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. As we saw in the last chapter, John says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw... The beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. Once again, Christ in the church. And the beast was captured with the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burned with sulfur. And here... In this next vision cycle, we read, And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And after Satan is judged finally and forever, and his demons along with him, then God is going to judge man. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. This is Christ. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So the fallen creation is here destroyed to be recreated. But first Christ sits in judgment. To judge man based on what's written in these books, including the book of life that contains the names of the elect. And after this judgment comes the physical resurrection of the dead, both of the elect and the reprobate. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Physical death is destroyed. That's the resurrection. The place where the souls of the dead resided, Hades, the place of the dead, is destroyed because there's no more need of an intermediate place for disembodied souls because everybody here gets their body back and everybody is judged. And that everyone is resurrected and judged at the same time is attested to throughout the Bible. We've already seen this in the book of Revelation. Back in the third vision cycle, it's the picture of the final judgment. We read, the nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. This is everything we're seeing here in Revelation 20. This is how Christ described the final judgment. After the work of the church completed on earth, he said this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. It's the work of the church. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the goods into containers but threw away the bed. So it will be at the end of the age. 
the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As we see in the Olivet Discourse, Christ says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And we will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. The whole world will mourn. They'll see the Son of Man coming with power. And then at the same time, the angels are sent with a trumpet call to gather the elect that will happen at the resurrection. This all happens at the same time. And Jesus then backs this up with all the parables of Matthew 25. The parable of the ten virgins. There are those watching for the bridegroom's coming and those who are not. And as those who are are brought into Christ's presence forever to dine with the bridegroom, the five that are not are separated from him forever, all at one time. Then he tells the parable of the talents. Everyone, those who used what Christ offered wisely and those that didn't, they're all called to account at the same time and one judgment is given. The parable of the sheep and the goats, as we discussed last week. All are gathered together at once, and they are separated in the judgment. Like we saw earlier from the Gospel of John. Jesus said, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is all at one time. We've seen multiple times in the book of Daniel. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. One at the same time. As Paul said in his defense before Felix, he said, This I confess to you, that according to the way, it's been called Christianity back then, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. The re- word resurrection singular here. There will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust all at one time. <coughs> That's what's going on here. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. All the judgments done at one time. We need to remember, as we've seen already throughout the book, the whole second coming event, which is the resurrection, the rapture, the final battle, the final judgment. These are all one event, but obviously there's going to be an order to them in time. But we've seen the Bible describes it in different orders in different places. Sometimes in the Bible, we have the rapture, then the judgment. Other times, the judgment, then the rapture. The, the whole second coming event describes sometimes as the, uh, the wicked having enough time to mourn and try to hide. We saw them hiding in a few different occasions in the book of Revelation. We're told the saints will be resurrected and raptured and then return with Christ in judgment. Well, here we're judged and then resurrected. So it's all one event. All one event. It's not separated by a thousand years. It's not separated by seven years. This happens all at the same time, just not an instant. And since the Bible doesn't give us a clear order to the events, just describes everything as the day of Christ's return, that's why the Old Testament just talks about that one day. The time right before Christ's return, the Antichrist appearing, the great apostasy, the persecution of a church, that will signal us who are awake that the end is near. And then when Christ comes, we know Satan and the demons are judged, and the resurrection, the rapture, the judgment, it's all going to happen, and everyone who is judged goes to where they will be for eternity, both body and soul. 
And we see here the wicked go into eternal torment. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And the elect will live in a new heaven and a new earth with Christ. And that's what we're going to consider next time. So now we're through the portion of Revelation that talks about here and now. The last two chapters only talk about our glorious future. So I look forward to that.